You're listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 97. This week, our guest is Kamal Sadwani, an attorney here at NASA Ames. Uh, Kamal specializes in commercial law, but in reality, ends up doing a large mix of things that need a lawyer's point of view. We discuss terrestrial law, or law that occurs here on Earth and for the benefit of space exploration. We also talk about our work throughout NASA. That includes HR, finance, procurement, and of course, being a part of NASA in Silicon Valley, working on partnerships with both large tech companies and even startups. But before I spoil the whole episode, let's just jump right in there with Kamal Sedwani. start this off the same way, Komal. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you join NASA? How did you end up in Silicon Valley? Uh, I'm from Guam originally. Um, okay, that's a first. Yes. That is a first of the NASA and so, Silicon Valley podcast. I, I went to college uh, in New York. I was the kid who wanted to be as far away from home as possible and concluded that okay. you could only go halfway around the world before you start coming back. So I went from Guam to New York. Okay. And then I just started making my way back west. Um, and eventually, after I graduated law school, I knew I wanted to come out to California okay. to be closer to home. Just working back, working, working <laughs> my way back. shorter of a flight, I guess? <laughs> it's correct. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I applied for a job post that was on a job posting lists of some sort. Yeah, some listserv. And I threw in a resume and I put a local California address so I looked like I was local. Told my cousin you'll get a rejection letter someday. It's from NASA. Don't be surprised. <laughs> and um, within a couple of weeks I was interviewed and within a couple of weeks I was hired. I'm told it's the quickest hiring they've ever done. Really? At NASA. But I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine, though, while you're going through law school, as I hear it's a fun time, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you're going through the stress and all of that of, of law school, did you have it in your head of like, one day I'm going to be a lawyer for NASA? No idea. I had no idea that uh, Ames even existed mm-hmm. when I applied. I First time I'd ever heard of it. Um, I really had thought that I would go the law firm route or yeah. work for a company. I never thought to work for the government. I was never part of the public interest law or yeah. government folks. I never took any of those classes. I just thought it was a, a crapshoot. Threw it in. Really? So it was <laughs> yeah. just a matter of like, you know, you want to live in California. Was it, had you already decided on like the Bay Area at that no, point? Or no, were actually you? that's why I, I was looking all over California, but was open to any area and it was post 9-11, so jobs were scarce anyways, okay. and so I had to try everything to get a job. When I got the job, I thought I'd be here for a couple of years. Yeah, try it out, figure try it out. Try it out, see, find a job after that. I had no idea that where I'd be working, who I'd be working with, what projects I'd be doing. I just knew I had a job, and I was yeah. excited. <laughs> <laughs> and so you think about it, because like every company, organization, entity has lawyers. It's like for the most part, it's like right. you know, there's like there's the corporate law, there's business, there's like people have their own firms or, or whatnot. So imagining being a lawyer for NASA, like what does that entail? Um, what are the kinds of things? I mean, I'd imagine that they're just relating to space law or international law. Or like there's whole fields in this. So how does this relate to like working at NASA? So when people ask me what I do, I normally tell them I practice in the door law. Whatever comes in my door, that's what I. Well, that's the kind of law I'm practicing today. Nice. 
Um, there is a group of people who work on international law and space law at NASA headquarters. Okay. And they work on things related to the United Nations, the the uh, the treaties that we have with other with other countries on the peaceful uses of outer space and, and things like that. What we practice here at Ames is mostly what I call terrestrial law. Okay. <laughs> law that occurs on Earth <laughs> for nice. the benefit of space. Um, <laughs> it's uh, very typical of what you would see in-house at a company where there's a lot of contracts and transactional work. Okay. And we do a lot of work with folks who do safety, environmental work. We advise groups such as the CFO, HR, um, our procurement office, you keep people out our of trouble. public affairs office yes. sometimes, yes, as, as needed, <laughs> as needed. Um, but basically, we kind of do a full range of legal services for any program and project at the center. Um, we support all the institutes, all mm-hmm. the contracting work for all the different projects. Um, the small satellites group for whatever they might need. Um, it seems like it's a huge range of different topics and things. Does it, for the most part, like deal in like like the partnerships kind of stuff, or is or is it just a whole mix? It, it is it is a whole mix, and different folks in our office do different things. I do a lot okay. of the partnerships work. Um, okay. Which is huge, especially it's, in Silicon Valley. We have all these companies, we have all these things, and like most people would like to do stuff with NASA. So it's like you have to make for sure, you know, when you're working with the federal government that everything's on the up and up. Yeah, and NASA wants to do work with all these companies Absolutely. as well. I mean, the the there's you know a shift in things being more um, traditional government with government employees. There are contractors, there are partnerships, there are collaborations. There's a there's a movement from traditional space to commercial space, or some people call it new space, and all of that is governed by all the different deals we do with all the different companies who are interested in that. And there are lots of areas in what NASA does, either from life sciences or computing or any of those areas where where you know there are parties interested in working with NASA and vice versa. We're interested in getting those ideas and and concepts and technologies you know, infused into what we do as well. And you think uh, even moving into commercial space, it's like, like, this isn't our first rodeo. I mean, (laughs) the first A in NASA is aeronautics. And that is the story of aeronautics, where where at first it was, you know, for the most part, airmail, the military, it was heavily government funded, moved into public-private partnerships like Pan America, and eventually now it's a fully-fledged like aeronautics industry, private companies, but we still do research. Correct. And help them out. But so I'm imagining it's a similar path for space. It, there are certainly parallels. I mean, if you look at the history of the you know commercialization of aeronautics, I guess, yeah. um, that the time frame is very different, right? That, that was a huge, <laughs> a long period of time from, you know, the first flight to, you know, air traffic management, for example. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, from the Wright brothers until the, exactly. now. It's, you know, a lot of significant Lots has change. A lot has changed. Um, and there are, you know, there's an entire agency that deals with that now where NASA's not even really that much involved. But certainly a lot of the founding technologies for aeronautics happened here at Ames. Mm -hmm. I think the time frame for commercial space is a little shorter. I think things are happening quicker. Um, Maybe we've learned since (laughs) the past. (laughs) We've learned to be more efficient. um, But there's also a a driver behind it. I think commercial industry is interested in mobilizing quicker. And so how does that play into your world? Because I think of, you know, for most companies, you tend to think, oh, I want to buy a thing, I want to do something, I'm going to work with this group. 
yay, I'm a private company, I can do what I want. When you're the federal government, there's a whole bunch of extra steps that move on top of it. I, I always I kind of remind people, every piece of red tape that people complain about typically came from some legislation that was formed. It's like, we're not just making this up on our own. But you have to, like, a lot of the job of trying to make for sure that we are following the law. We're following what Congress has said that we can and cannot do. Exactly, because we cannot operate as a commercial company. There are requirements. There are ways in which we can spend our money, things we can't do. Um, and most of the times, it's my job to explain to people who work <laughs> to here. To very energetic individuals. People who really want to make things work, um, why we cannot do certain things. And the challenge then is, how can we do what we want to do? How do you get to yes? And, and make it happen. And make it legal. Um, <laughs> and make it legal. And sometimes it means we have to go get permission from OMB. Sometimes it means we have to change the law. I mean, there's folks who've done that. And yeah. um, there are also very creative folks who looked at how do we use our our agreements authority, how do we use our contracting authority to meld it together to to make it work for building and supporting a commercial space industry. And you know, sometimes that means we define the requirements of a contract in a very creative way. Sometimes that means we use our flexibility in certain agreement types to mm -hmm. do it in a certain way and and do it in a way that, you know, keeps you know, stakeholders aware of what we're doing and making sure that, you know, you address all the potential stumbling blocks along the way. And it, it's not the most exciting process, <laughs> but, but it, it is a process that, yeah. that's there and it and enables And we're not going to get far without it. You, you well, we know. don't have a choice. <laughs> You're not going to get anywhere <laughs> without <laughs> Literally. it. You have, to, you, have to, you have to be aware of what stumbling blocks exist. And it's not ones that, as I promised people, it's not ones I've created. They are, yes. they are ones that exist. Well, I always say there's but, a difference of being a problem identifier and a problem solver. And sometimes and you can do both. If, you can if, identify, <laughs> but then that's how you find that solution right. of like, okay, well, you know, maybe we can get to yes and address all your interests in like concerns, but through a slightly through a different route or something that's was made for for one thing or another. Finding finding that unique solution or finding that opportunity or finding a a different path is something that you know we oftentimes work on with folks all across the center and with yeah. across the agency. And now you mentioned partnerships as a thing that, you're, that you've been working on. Um, I always hear people relating to the Space Act Agreement. Yes. I'm guessing is that a big thing in your world? And, and I guess maybe for folks who are not aware, what is a Space Act Agreement? Where does that come from? What is that? Sure. So most of, um, the, most of the government has some sort of contracting authority where we get to purchase goods and services to enable our ability to meet our mission needs. Um, NASA is a unique agency, and there are other agencies who have this other transaction authority written into the Organic Act that founded NASA that says okay. that, and NASA can do other things to advance its mission. And NASA's created a policy around that legal authority and how we do business with entities that are not the traditional okay. um, purchasing of goods and services to support our mission. So for example, if you need to buy a computer today, um, yeah. you know who to call and yes. they have a contract order and you get that a way computer that, to do your job. There's a way that big NASA has decided we're gonna buy computers in this way for efficiency right. sake and following right. you know the right so, way. So you know how to buy a computer if you needed one. However, if you met with a, someone in a startup who says, well, I have this new way of calibrating this 
one instrument that you may need for a moon mission. There's no real product there to buy. There's no, (laughs) there's nothing really to do in terms of meeting, making that phone call to buy something. But you may want to talk to them further. They may not want to um, have you share that information publicly. There may be certain parameters for how we make this deal happen. Mm -hmm. And that's the part right down in an agreement, which we call a Space Act agreement. And there's policy behind it and, and things like that. And there's vastly different ways to engage in um, cooperative and collaborative activities with various industries, and that's one of the ways in which we do Because I've even heard of some of the Space Act agreements have talked about them in ways of like, here's a reimbursable thing where we give you this, you pay us back for that. But there's a lot of them that don't require any, there's no money exchange whatsoever. It's purely just knowledge, and it's just having it in a way that it's like, it's, it's mutually beneficial. So there are, there are two types. There are the non-reimbursable types where we, we uh, work with uh, folks, both um, commercial industries, other government agencies, state and local government, to, okay. to work together in areas of mutual interest. So if um, one of the cities is interested in studying um, one of their local facilities in waste management, for example, yeah. and we have some technology that would be helpful, um, folks can do that. Um, then. We have certain unique facilities here, uh, including the wind tunnels, the arc jets. Yeah. We have folks with unique skills in uh, thermal protection systems. And there are companies out there who are interested in utilizing our goods and services to test their products for commercial use and whatnot. So they're able to pay NASA to get those services to advance their business. And we offer that because there are very few of those facilities around. And some of our folks here are the best and brightest at what they do. Um, they do pay NASA, you know, actual costs for doing it, and um, it's one way where we get to manage our facilities and keep them from, you know, being down and not being fully utilized. Yeah, I mean, if we're not using it for our stuff, then it makes sense to open it up so that other people yeah. can use it. And so you'd mentioned partnerships as a thing that you're working on. I'm guessing there's a lot more that the office does. So what are some of the other portfolios? What are things that, what's that range of? Sure. <laughs> tell us about your world. So so my world isn't, my world doesn't involve everything, but I have many colleagues who work in all these areas. And like I said, it's a largely an in-the-door practice. Um, I found myself doing bankruptcy litigation, oh, privacy really? litigation. Oh, wow. I've found myself working with the OCFO and doing um, costing models for reimbursable agreements. Um, we've worked with folks in the environmental office, given various environmental issues we have in this, at this facility. Um, and and when I say I, I've done some of it, but but there is a person. <laughs> it takes a village. <laughs> it, there is a person who is specialist in environmental issues. There is a person who is a specialist in HR and labor issues. There is oh, wow. someone who is in charge of procurement, and three or four of us work procurement. Um, we have three patent attorneys. Oh, like really? Four. We have four patent attorneys mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who who um, address issues of data rights and um, proprietary data from companies and licensing technologies and reporting of technologies under contracts. Um, we have someone who does leasing. We have a NASA research park here and we have large say. tenants here. So we have a real estate attorney um, who does a lot of that work. And, that, and that's an interesting mix because you don't really see that at most NASA centers. Of We have this big chunk of land that it's like a mix of startups, it's tech companies, it's really large tech companies, right. it's um, other federal agencies, you know, universities. There's this whole mix right next door to NASA Ames where 
a whole group of people could like rent space, basically. And NASA inherited a lot of this property from the Navy when um, the, the air base, Naval Air Base here yeah. closed. Yeah, it was like the Moffett the Federal, Federal Airfield. But then eventually it was the Navy. Yeah, there's, the, a, there's a history behind that. Well, there's a whole podcast episode we oh, did with excellent. Jack Boyd where He'll we went tell through you all, all of those <laughs> the, the different transitions and moving. So we inherited all this property, but we didn't need all of it. And so through various requests for legislation and the requesting the authority to lease out the property to maximize its utility, um, the NASA Research Park was created and various folks worked together to make it happen, so to speak. Yeah. And NASA got leasing authority from Congress to be able to lease out space to um, create the NASA Research Park. And we've been doing that successfully for about, I'd say, 13, 14 years now. It's interesting. It's almost like, like an incubator of sorts. Like, all space and NASA related, but on Moffett Field in the middle of Silicon Valley, all of these different groups coming together working in space you know that was sort of the vision that was yeah. the vision to get smart people together working in different disciplines and the theory is that that would you know disrupt various areas of technology and create new things and there have been a lot of success stories here coming through as as incubators or startups who have blossomed into huge companies oh nice <laughs> and many of them actually do work with the space program and um, some of them have products that they've contributed to station and all it started out with was a lease. <laughs> <laughs> it started off with somebody yeah, trying to find a, 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 place a place to, to put, put their, their company. Office. Yes. yes, they needed a place to sit, yeah. and so. But it's also a cool thing because when you have different groups around each other, if, whether you're sharing a building or you're next door going to the space bar to get lunch, <laughs> you know. Well, the space bar is relatively new, but there's always been some sort of gathering area for the NASA Research Park tenants and. That's been part of the culture of the area. So there's been either um, like a commons area or yeah. or the golf course or, or some area that people well, gather. Like, people tend to overlook that. There's a power in people working nearby, even if you're not in the same company. There's just like that, you know, you just like chit chat, you make friends. And next thing you know, there's some project you can work on together. That you and and that was of. part of the goal, too, to have these same folks introduced to folks who work at NASA on various subject matters that could help you know, enhance these companies' abilities to build new things that could eventually be for use in the space program or in our aeronautics program or in our satellite program. And I don't even know that we've captured all of that. I think there are success stories, but yeah. some of them I think we just happened and nobody really reported on it or knew that it, it just that Yeah, way. it's just a feature. Yeah. It's just how, it's just kind of how it comes mm -hmm. together. Um, and so, cool. Talk about something like, you know, people think of like, you're a lawyer at NASA. Like, what are some of the things that people just wouldn't think of or wouldn't know or is a part of your day to day that, you know, some features or, or, or whatever? I don't think people would know that we are ethics advisors as well for government okay. employees, that if folks have conflicts of interest and um, post-employment issues because they work for the government, we advise folks on that. We do training in ethics. I guess um, that would make sense if I'm a federal employee, employee who has a who's an engineer and we're in like working on big multi-million dollar contracts, but then I'm going to work on my own little startup on the side. Like there's very clear mm -hmm. ethics and dividing lines of where you can and cannot be. I don't I don't think people realize that we do spend a lot of time with red tape. I think people understand that the government has a lot of red tape, but mm -hmm. I think that we as lawyers help folks like the scientists and engineers around here navigate through that. 
so that they can be freed up to do their regular job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that they, people will be surprised to see us at the table, for example, discussing things at the various um, institutes, for example. The Small Satellite Institute director would come and ask me, you know, how would he enable this data sharing plan or how would we do this um, contract? So. Mm -hmm. There are programs and projects here that operate independently, but we're sort of wedged in in little places, <laughs> you know, helping the cogs work along the way. Yeah. Um, I think folks would be surprised to hear that we are really involved in working with the UTM uh, mm -hmm. program, the this Unmanned the... Aerial Vehicle <laughs> Traffic Management System. I always, it's basically the air it's traffic the, control for drones. for drones. Where there's a lot of regulatory requirements, there are issues related to liability and, and loss, um, insurance. Um, the, they wouldn't think of NASA as a, an entity that has to deal with that to begin with because many times we're not developing the drones, we're flying them. And we are worried about loss of you know, the vehicles, but also in working with partners and other um, operators, people who develop hardware, what are the pieces that need to come together to make this system or make the UTM program thrive? And they're doing great on their own, but we're wedged in in between addressing questions of liability, addressing questions of insurance, um, entering into Space Act agreements with our partners. So. Mm -hmm. We tend to have sort of a behind-the-scenes role, but we're sort of, like I said, wedged in. You're in kind of like, like little yeah. little bits in here. So well, long I mean, as so long as I think I think folks feel like that you know they'll come to us when they need us, <laughs> and sometimes that's too late. Cool. <laughs> but but you know, in order to enable some of these programs to happen, you have to find a way to. How do you get to yes? Yeah. How do you how do you do it in the in the, in the right way so it's not going to cause problems down the road? Right, and and sometimes the problem itself lends itself to the need to come talk to someone illegal. <laughs> so it's when that first thing crashed. <laughs> what do we do? Or if there's, I once worked a a case where you know a, a large piece of equipment, mm -hmm. very valuable piece of equipment, fell. <laughs> oh really? Just like and okay. there was you know tens and thousands of dollars worth of damage, and oh, wow. you know we had to figure out who. Who caused who did the damage? It? Who's liable? Who is who's liable? Who is going to pay for it at the end? But also under a very strict timeline because the schedule for the program required that oh, piece of wow. equipment. So Everything something has to sometimes break <laughs> for for <laughs> the program to come find us. But sometimes they use our services to enable what they're trying to do. Cool. And even if you think of like those partnerships and stuff, I don't know. For some reason in my brain, the first place that I go to of thinking of like. You think of space as like the final frontier. Um, I've always kind of associated it's like there's a whole legal world out there of like how do we even navigate space. I've always kind of associated this with like similar to maritime law or something because like not no, nobody owns the oceans or at least you know there but there's rules and ways of governing it. And as we move into a commercial space area, you know, with our partners, international partners, with everybody. To make for sure that like we're all we all know what we're dealing with, I guess. And I think the answer to that really is that we don't know 100% what we're dealing yeah. with. Um, there are companies interested in resource prospecting in space and mm -hmm. things like that. NASA certainly is interested in advancing um, space travel for NASA for exploration, but. We're kind of at a juncture now where we're not really sure how we're going to deal with the issues of property and space. Oh, wow. Um, 
or mining in space, or the moon, and other celestial it's, bodies. I think that there's going to be some lawmaking. It's a new frontier. Yeah, there's going to be some lawmaking that needs to happen, or you know, other other discussions at the at the international level with our international partners, um, with the companies that are interested, yeah. both in the United States and globally. There's going to be some some legal work to be done, and that's kind of normal. It's like as new frontiers, as new things come to pass. Then you have to come up with the framework of how how are we gonna how how do we live in that world? Yeah, it's exciting times. <laughs> we'll find <laughs> out. As a lawyer, it's very exciting for me. You know, where you know this is not just a technical feat. Um, yeah. There are lots of industries that NASA supports because we have expertise in, for example, autonomy or robotics, computing, and we're just as interested in cybersecurity issues as many industries are. And all of those areas, there are issues related to things like privacy totally. and adoption through regulatory compliance. So there's a lot of legal issues in these new and burgeoning technologies yeah, that people haven't thought about before. And, you know, normally the, the lawyers are blamed for inhibiting <laughs> the ability to do things. But now I think we're going to be viewed as the enablers to make it happen. Right now, even the technical folks are identifying issues of risk, identifying issues of liability that they're worried about. You know, this yeah. is when the technical people come to you and say, well, what, what, we, if this... what if this breaks and who is, who's going to pay for it? Because I certainly don't want to be responsible. Yes. And so they're looking to lawyers to actually solve some of these problems. And I think that's that's a change for me. Usually, you know, they look for lawyers after something has happened. But I think technology has changed in a way that makes um, the legal work and the, the policy work very important at the get-go. If you can imagine if the policy issues and the legal issues are not defined for something like a drone. Yeah. How is a researcher supposed to design for and consider contingencies that have not yet been thought about um, in terms of regulation? So, you know, some <laughs> of our researchers in human factors might design a system, and the regulations that come down the line means that's not going to work in that way. But if they can anticipate that now, as lawyers, we can provide a framework for how that's viewed now and what might be the case in the yeah. future based on existing case law or based on whatever little we know now to help them even design for the future. And and that's, to me, a very exciting time for lawyers, <laughs> especially a NASA lawyer who, can, who, who actually thinks about a lot of these things um, moving forward. So for folks listening, have any questions for Komal, anything about how life being a lawyer at NASA is, um, we are on social media at NASA Ames on all the major platforms. We're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. So, but thank you so much for coming. This has been fun. Thank you, Matt. It was great being here. You have been listening to the NASA in Silicon Valley podcast. Remember, we are a NASA podcast, but we are not the only NASA podcast. So don't forget to check out our friends at Houston. We have a podcast. There's also Gravity Assist. There's This Week at NASA. And if you're a music fan, don't forget to check out Third Rock Radio. The best way to capture all of this content is to subscribe to our omnibus RSS feed called NASA Casts. Or visit the NASA app on iOS, Android, or anywhere you find your apps. <laughs>